we begin tonight's D&D adventure at the meeting after the meeting. If you oh. recall, the last time we were together, um, the there was happened. a meeting taking place on the uh, on the main deck of the Cugboat, the SS Happy Orc, where you were talking about some of the things that need to get done around the ship and whatnot. And, um, you know, oh, there's there's some like weird bugs and little stowaway creatures and some mockery is going to take a crew of younglings to go and try and take care of that problem. And um, you need to find and train some pilots. And we don't really have a good solution for that. We've got Fox who's scared of heights and Radford who's demonstrated that he's not really very trustworthy at it. So you haven't really solved that one yet. Um, Outland's got to optimize the thrusters to try and make the fuel you have on board last you enough time to get you to Gaim. Um, depending on Outland's work, you'll either get there in seven days or 30. So no pressure, but like pressure. Um, <laughs> and that's, uh, so that, that's all, that stuff's all been established. That meeting's over now. Um, it's your, you, now you have other meetings to have. Outland has kind of requested uh, a conversation with, the the main like the founders and the and the four guys crew and soul heiress and so it's um you you've kind of stepped into the the war room which was the old spa you know the lingering smell of essential oils from you know like lavender i think fox said fox is like yeah it's lavender in there um kind of is is lingering in in this room it's a squat room at the aft end of the main deck of the cug boat um like i said it, it used to be a spa so there's like the three little like massage table things with the curtains the curtains are all pulled back to the end and a huge slab of wood has been laid across the massage tables to make just sort of like a huge generic table it's kind of like standing room only table it's covered in maps and papers and documents and quills and parchments and just all the all the things kind of just anything that might have been useful was tossed in here um and as you all kind of Walk into the room, Sol Eris, uh, the perhaps lone surviving member of the ruling council of the Society of the Silver Sky, closes the door quietly behind you, and the howl of rushing wind is replaced with a dull roar of wind beyond the shattered win or shuttered windows of the old spa. She leans casually against one wall as the rest of you form kind of a loose circle around the table uh, that dominates the room, and she looks expectantly towards Alan. Uh, yes, um, I just wanted to gather us here uh, to discuss a couple of things um, that pertain to us. Uh, one of those things include, uh, Fox, if I remember correctly, you uh, went to some of the storage rooms to see if you could find anything useful about the airship or anything like that. I just wanted to check in with you, make sure uh, anything about yes. that. Um, so I, I found a few interesting things. Um, I found the manifest. Uh, I found a bunch of other things that I wrote down somewhere else that wasn't my character sheet. Hmm. That's fascinating. <laughs> that I'm panically Is trying to find. Sol Eris steps towards the table. Is it on this table? And she begins sliding through the papers looking for the list that Fox wrote. <laughs> uh, oh, yes, yes. Uh, here, here we go. She hands you the paper that you pointed out and <laughs> leans back against the wall. Go on. Uh, you know, I found um, some little knickknacks, jewels. I found some equipment, weapons. Um, but I did find a piece of the manifest, um, and I'm going to hand it over to Alan. And describe to Alan what he sees. Yeah, do you remember what? Did you write down what's on your manifest? We got a list of destinations, 
uh, touring the world's great landmarks. Hmm. We know that it ends at the Pillars of Eternal Village, uh, Vigil. Interesting. Uh, it was a reward for financial patrons. Um, the list on the list of donors is Sir Topham Sav with a huh. huge donation, pogging off. <laughs> That's a hundred. I'm not sure if I'm for sure of that terminology. Uh, <laughs> hundred gift subs, uh, <laughs> and. The ship was in fact owned by Wizards of the Exalted Ring. Hmm. Very interesting. That is not what we originally expected. I, uh, we, I guess we originally theorized that this would be connected to K in some way and uh, his fleet, but um, hmm. that, so, that explains the Wingle Digit apparatus in the yes, ship. Which has me thinking. I do think this ship predates the darkening. Mm-hmm. That that and would if it does. Thinks, yes. That means that these wizards, the exalted ring, had access to wingle digits. If anything, perhaps maybe they're the original creators of the first mm. wingle digits. That and hmm. or maybe they were in league with the abolis. I. I don't know. Well, their organization was the creator. It is, being a part of that is what's confusing me. And yes, the fact that, that, that is interesting. And the fact that we haven't even heard mention of them this entire time yet. But I guess historically they're extremely elusive. Did you find any I, old Wingle digits in there? Uh, I didn't. I actually didn't find anything, at least not among the paperwork. Um, I could go back and check to see if I can find Wingle Digits, but I didn't see any. Hmm. You were confident that there was probably more to find. Like, you know, there's plenty more rubble and stuff to go through in the storage room. Or, yeah, I only or I guess piles of, you know, stuff. Managed to dig through like a couple of paper piles and a couple of crates. So hmm. I'm. Well, that may be a good, more. yeah, a good long-term task is to keep searching through that. Um, yes, yeah, so I'll have to think on that more. That's, that's a bit worrying that there could be another powerful order of people in league with the Aboliths. However, it's not surprising. The odds always have been stacked against us. Um, but the other thing I wanted to discuss as well uh, with uh, Sol Eris um, is, you know, just just wanted to check in and make sure that the refugees... Um, are feeling taken care of. I know that the accommodations here are less than ideal and we're trying to get them to safety um, as soon as we can. And that is what I will be doing um, later is working on the thrusters to make sure that we do. But um, yes, I just wanted to make sure, is there any accommodations we can make? Is there any questions that they seem to have? You seem very well connected with your people. So I just wanted to ask. I would not consider morale to be positive given the events of the past few days i think that's understandable um they've watched many of their companions and guildmates they've known their entire lives to be left behind in the evacuation um and you know the i i am confident that while there is a lot of grumbling it is because they are more they have more needs than you know an able-bodied adventuring group such as yourselves 
and I believe that it, it is just grumbling. I don't think we need to worry about a mutiny if that's the kind of thing you're concerned about. Um, I have not gotten that impression from the monks to whom I'm speaking. I am a little more concerned about the other part of your statement where you said you're taking us to safety. What exactly does that entail in your mind? Um, yes, uh, according to our intelligence about the state of the world, um, it is quite possible, uh, and based on what you witnessed uh, at the mountain, I hope you will trust our judgment on this, it is quite possible that one of the last free cities left in Urida is, is, is Gaim, and we, we will be taking you there. And it's built into a mountain, so it's very defensible. defensible. But did you not say that it was under siege? Yes. Uh, if you would prefer us to drop you off uh, in a small village outside of Gaim that is not under siege, that is fine. Um, I am confident in the defenses of Gaim, and I am confident in their ability to weather this storm, um, and I am confident in our ability to stop this war but uh i would gladly consider any suggestions you have um i just can't stress enough that we cannot be sure about the freedom or safety of essentially any other place outside of gaim yes when you said you would aid our evacuation we did not anticipate that you would consider evacuating us into the heart of another siege um and I can't say I'm confident in that course. What would you suggest instead? That is what's troubling to us, is that we don't have many other ideas. It seems to me that if you can modify this airship to stay afloat, it would be more prudent to leave these weaker creatures on this airship and venture down to the surface yourselves to find another means of getting back into the air. That... Uh, is an interesting proposition. Wait, 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 wait. However, Are I... you suggesting the, the airship we just invested a lot to put together that we were hoping to use to find one of the avatars, which I, I would like to remind you is necessary in order to stop this whole thing. You know, the war, the abolifts, the fighting, the, the world potentially ending in enslavement. To just allow you guys to have it, we'll just we'll just walk the rest of the way. What I what my colleague is 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 <laughs> suggesting and trying to uh, communicate is that um, we will need this airship to find K, one of the avatars. In fact, the final avatar that we need to find in this journey. And um, yes, we just we. We must do that um, for this to work. And we, I mean, I, if, if you think that ha keeping your people on this ship while we do that is more safe, then we can do that. But I cannot guarantee. I don't that. think it's more safe. Honestly, Solaris, uh, you know, when this is all said and done, maybe uh, I can use my airship as a temporary home for our people, but our plan is to to bring this into much more danger than what Gaim is currently underneath. Like under. Yes, I think you're misunderstanding me. I am saying that I do not believe 
the airship or even the location of my people is the danger, I believe you are the danger. Our society was plunged into a war we didn't ask for because you sent beings of great power to the mountain we lived on to stash them somewhere until you needed them later. And then when those consequences caught up with you and our mountain was besieged, you showed up, offered to evacuate us, got about half of us out, and are now planning to drop us into another siege uh, while you go off on your own among the sky and waltz away leaving not just us but plenty of other refugees from places you've been gone through and left to deal with the fallout i and appreciate I'm suggesting those that that's points. not prudent uh i appreciate those points however there are a couple flaws in the logic of what you've just presented one is that one of the avatars came to the mountain on its own accord we did not send her there dm what so time is it? that is one thing time of day is that what you're asking? Yeah. Uh, it's evening. Are Garlo and Satonia It's the end here? of your first day together. Right. They're not in the room. They're on the airship. We sent okay. Garlel to the mountain after we already knew that Zatonia was there and that Zatonia went there of her own accord. The reason why you were in danger, truth be told, is because Thraxenhow lived in that mountain. And because Thraxenhow lived in that mountain, one of the avatars went to stay in the shelter of Thraxenhow's domain. And then we thought, well, one of the avatars is already there, and obviously she views it as a safe place, so we will send Carlyle there as well. And I appreciate your feelings in this situation, and I know that this is a whirlwind of terrible, life-shattering events. However, if we had not shown up to rescue you, you would not have been rescued at all. And while I like I said, appreciate the might and the wisdom of your order. I do not think that if you and Thraxenhow stood their ground alone in that fight that you would have survived. Thraxenhow himself, we don't know his fate. And he was one of the mightiest ancient white dragons, the mightiest ancient white dragon in recorded history. So... Or... War is an, an ugly entity, and... An ugly entity that you brought to our doors. No, we literally did not. Did you not hear what I said a moment ago about how one of the avatars went there of her own accord? Right. Technically, Thraxenhow brought it to you. L listen, I, I just I just want to make this point clear. What Al is trying to say is, is this, this war was coming to your door whether we were there or not. You were associating a causality that we were there war appeared we must have caused it and I'd, i would like to assure you that five people no matter how awesome we may be do not bring war to every single place we go the war was coming and we are just trying to stop it we're caught in the waves just as you are this is the, the war is a massive ocean it's rough waters and while we may be riding the waves trying to find a way to stop this, this doesn't mean we're causing the waves. What Fox is saying is that blaming us for this war is not prudent. <laughs> Solaris, they're burning all the religious sites, all of the temples, 
everything. Doesn't matter what deity. We saw the fires on the way to the on the way home. They would have made it to our mountain anyway. They would have burned it anyway. It's just a matter of time. She leans back against the wall, clearly still like hot tempered, you know, like deep breaths, whatever, like emotional. I miss them too. And I wish we could have brought everybody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that when I came back, all I brought was trouble. But what would I have, what else could I have done? What difference would it make now? She very quietly turns around and opens the door, swings it open and steps out and it kind of click and kind of swings shut behind her as she walks off. Well, although I went into that conversation with the intention of diffusing a mutiny, uh, because my intelligence and logic was, or I felt insulted, um, that uh, I I apologize because I think I may have made one more likely. (laughs) It's not your fault, Helen. Uh, Tension is high. Uh, This is very, very tough on, on all of us, really, and... So I, I think we can come out of this with an understanding that my morale might be a slight issue. I think that is possible, which um, is, makes me want to complete this journey as fast as possible. I'm also going to be honest. Gut instinct tells me we need, we need Solaris to like be, we need to be on their good side because I think also we're the only ones she can yell at right now. There's like she can't yell at the abolish for starting the war. She can't. That's expected. I'm just saying we need to make sure that by the end of this, she at least understands because she holds influence. Whether she uh, means to or not, people are going to look to her to view what to do. And if they see anger and resentment, I think maybe if she had a conversation with Satoni and Garlo about the state of everything. It sounds like they've been pretty disconnected from everything that's going on until we showed up. This is true. And um, we've been, you know, giving them space so that they can rest. um, As this has all been, this whole experience, a lot. Um, Especially considering they worship Kotix, that's a pretty good idea. Yes. I guess says the disembodied voice. I don't know why. <laughs> There's no one left for me to be in the scene. God? I just was really impressed by that <laughs> thought of like, having them talk to the avatars. That's a great way to do it. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Um, yes, I, I think that um, but that would be beneficial. You know, our story hasn't really been told around the world, or at least I don't know what's being said about what we're doing. But clearly that Sunset House is very disconnected from world affairs. And so... I think you know them what? getting a dose of, of what's been going on will be 
bring things into perspective about what we're doing. How about tonight? We just try to raise spirits a little bit. I don't know how we are in rations, but maybe we can afford to have a small little feast or maybe some desserts everyone can have. Um, I can play some music and we can just try to get people to forget about for maybe just 30 seconds the trouble we're in and how it's not going away. Just maybe we just do, for a night. We do need to find people to crew the ship, though. We can we can do that tomorrow. All right. Well, it sounds like we're we're done. I'm gonna go back to the helm. Sounds good. Bruiser will saunter back towards the cockpit. <laughs> okay. As Bruiser walks out, I just I can't. I keep trying to pull it back in, and I can't. <laughs> Fox was like, we should like break out some desserts and watch. And I like made virtual eye contact. <laughs> like if only you and Fox had left any desserts in the rations he ate. Some desserts on the edge. <laughs> and Fox is like, yeah, desserts are what'll solve our problems. I always have a dessert when I feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh. Um okay. Well, uh as Bruiser heads back to the helm, you know what that means. It means it's story time at the Wing Badger Tavern and we'll be right back maybe with, with dessert. some desserts. Sinir, Gontos, Kotex, Awara. Long ago, the four ancients created a world in harmony. Then everything changed when the chat emped magic. Only Kelnor, master of good vibes, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. Two years have passed, and four adventurers have discovered a conspiracy, a company selling magic. And although their roleplay is great, they have a lot of XP to earn before they're ready to save anyone. But I believe they can save the world. Welcome back aboard the SS Happy Orc, a.k.a. the Cugboat, for tonight's Dungeons & Dragons adventure. Let's meet the players. Hello, I am Jake, and I play Alan Woodrear, the Azamar Barbarian Artificer, who uh, whose pride felt a little bit insulted in that last conversation. And uh, yeah, it's been a long time since that happened. Hello, I'm Fox. Wow! <laughs> and... I am a rogue changing <laughs> bard, and really I'm here to, here. really excited to be here, and I'm going to raise some spirits. It's going to be a, a, not a sad time. <laughs> Hello, I am Trevor. I play Bruiser, or Ferdinand, but most people don't call him that. Uh, he is the winged badger inquisitive rogue of the group, and he is piloting the SS Cugboat. <laughs> and I'm Wash. Uh, apparently, we're doing WWE entries, so woo! Here we go, playing some D and D tonight. <laughs> I'm Radford, the white dragonborn monk, flying the airships, <laughs> doing lots of stuff, fighting with all my might against depression and mutiny. <laughs> Woo! 
And I'm Josh, your Wing Badger Game Master. Without further ado, let's get back into tonight's Dungeons & Dragons adventure with a little bit of a time skip here. Um, having kind of established some needs uh, for the, the, the future of the airship and such, um, Sol Eris having left a little early from that, that meeting, it doesn't really become apparent until later that, that night uh, as Bruiser is in the, in the cockpit of the Cugboat piloting by himself, that she has actually been rallying a few of the more able-bodied monks to act as an impromptu crew for you. Uh, in specific, it's the younglings. Most of the, the elderly are, um, you know, they're, they're in some way starting to lose some of their senses. They're, I mean, that's why they were put aboard, is because they were too infirm to fight or defend the guild. And so they either have bad eyesight or they're not as coordinated as they ought to be. But a lot of the kids are uh, eager to step up to the challenge. And as such, um, while none of them are exceptional, uh, the learned monks are used to study and discipline, and they take to the cugboat adequately enough for your short-term needs. And Boom! so, over child the past labor, <laughs> not quite child labor, more like uh, mutual survival. Uh, <laughs> over the past two days, Alan has trained another engineer uh, to give B Street a break from time to time—a fidgety young elf named Gallus. Fox has cleverly passed on his constant roguish paranoia to two young human sisters, Nikki and Lana, who have made a game out of being lookouts and trying to spot things further away than each other. Uh, Radford has trained a sweet, round-faced dwarf girl named Doris to support the mountain in the ship's kitchen. And Bruiser has trained two young pilots, a spunky teenage girl named Ada and a pot-bellied, well-tempered gnome named Elfie Docket. Uh, so far... The cloud cover beneath the cugboat has been thick enough with the, the kind of darker weather to obscure the ground. Uh, but with the glow of the late morning sun cutting across the sea of clouds, the cugboat gently glides eastward. And uh, we have we've had a report from Nikki or Lana, one of them. Uh, they can't seem to give credit to the other for seeing it first, that there is a break in the clouds ahead and finally the weather may be, may be clearing and soon we'll get a glimpse of the ground. Your expectation is that you are probably somewhere approaching the sea that uh, connects connects to Aspesh here. In fact, I'll throw the map up really quick so we can take a look. So this um, this like kind of isolated blue sea in the middle of the map here, we're, we're east of Stonefield, east of that little inlet, and now we're kind of getting ready to cross over that ocean-y area there. Um, and you can see in purple, there's a little triangle of purple pillars there. Those are the pillars of Eternal Vigil. And then far to the east is Gain. That That's like kind of over central Urida. So that's where we're headed. Um, so it's been two days. We've made it maybe two fifths of the of the journey, um, idea, or it's been three days total. We've made it about two fifths of the journey. Um, but unless Alan can get those thrusters optimized, um, we'll run out of fuel somewhere around day four. Uh, speaking of Alan, uh, Alan, make a dexterity save with advantage. Gonna hit your thumb with the hammer. Good thing there's advantage. Aha, 16. 16. Uh, Alan, you lean back in your rope harness and catch the uh, the socket wrench that was tossed down to you. It's a little bit uh, further back than you might have expected, but then dangling off the side of a round-sided uh, airship. It's not that easy to be precise. Up above you, silhouetted, looking down, is, the, uh, is Garlow, who's been kind of tossing you tools and making sure your rope stays, you know, tightly anchored to the anchor point on the main deck. Uh, and just kind of working with you and assisting you in your work on the engine. Um, underneath you, on the lower side of the thruster, 
is B Street with his head poking out from the underbelly of the tugboat um, in case you need anything like adjusted underneath or whatever, rather than you having to like hang upside down, which is kind of dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, he's able to kind of, with his smaller form, he can kind of poke his head out the side through one of those portholes and, and adjust from down there. Um, and so the, the group of you are, are kind of working together. Um, and so as you, as you catch that socket wrench and kind of, you know, lean back into the airship to, to continue your work, um, Garlow finally yells down after mostly, you haven't really been talking, mostly you've been working, but now he kind of starts up a conversation with you. So you're, uh, managing the band now, huh? How's, uh, how's steering that ship going? Um, you know, it was, uh, it was extremely rough at first, I will say, um, considering, considering every angle and every need, um, that might be necessary is extremely difficult, which is why I'm extremely thankful that my friends are just extremely capable in their own right. Um, yes, it's a, it's a role that I didn't necessarily want to fall into as, uh, I'm sure you remember Jeb, uh, was, you know, he's a natural leader and was the ideas man, uh, for a long time, but when we lost him for a while, it, it just, I just felt like I needed to do something. So, uh, sorry, didn't mean to get, I don't know. Yes. Um, but no, it, it is going much better now, I would say, <laughs> even though th- we're in this predicament and Alan kind of shrugs as he keeps working on whatever he's doing. Yeah. You know, the, the leather strap or whatever kind of creaks as he like leans back <laughs> off the side of an airship, still kind of flying it at high speeds there. Um, Fox and Radford, uh, the two of you are spending this lovely golden hour morning in the cafeteria. Um, you are sitting there enjoying a well-made but entirely too small breakfast as rations are starting to get stretched pretty thin. Um, as we, if we recall, the, the cafeteria or the mess hall of this ship is one long room with like a, a picnic style table. So it's like one long table up the middle with benches and then you kind of walk behind the bench to get to a seat. And so you're sitting somewhere in that room. It's it's pretty cramped with some of the, the later rising um, monks. You know, a lot of the younger kids are now out doing roles. Some of them are, you know, wandering around with mockery, trying to track down little bugs and things that might have stowed away. Um, some of them are have been kind of recruited in the cabin areas, like basically folding sheets and stuff just to give them something to do as far as like maintaining that kind of discipline and rigid schedule. Um, some of them are, uh, you know, about doing their things. Um, but because the table is so cramped, you don't notice until they're right next to you that Elfie and Ada, the two pilots that Bruiser has trained, are headed your way. Um, Ada clears her throat loudly right next to Fox. <clears throat> Uh, excuse me. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, you are one of the uh, the leaders, right? One of the one of the people in charge of stuff. Yeah, that's you. Uh, you sh- sure. Yeah. You can say uh, something like that. She flips a little a little piece of hair over over her shoulder, and she says, "I need you to step in and knock some sense into your pilot." And she points up to where the the cockpit would be. <laughs> all right, all right, slow down. Tell me wh- what happened. It has been a full day since I was trained how to fly the cugboat, and 
I am not permitted to fly the Cugboat. It's, I've finally been given some, some responsibilities when Sol Eris said I was too, too unreliable, didn't have enough responsibility, and now I finally have some responsibilities, and they won't even let me use them. Behind her, very timidly, Elfie leans in and says, I'm, I'm not particularly, I'm, I don't know if I'm as concerned as Ada is about getting to fly the boat, which is kind of a scary responsibility, but I'm a little concerned about our pilot in that I, I think it's been since we got in the air that he slept. Like, I think he's just been flying. I think it's been three days. You know, that when you put it in uh, words like that, uh, all right, come along. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Ada says, thank you. And she, like, you know, <laughs> follows along behind. She's, like, all in a huff um, following uh, Radford, along uh, behind I'll, you. I'm going to go figure out what's going on with Bruiser here. Good luck. <sighs> I'm going to eat your yeah, food. Right. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> Radford I slides over the, like, single biscuit or whatever. And the kids are just <laughs> pushing me out of the cafeteria. Yeah. Not my food! Ah! Uh, all right. Now I move uh, on. Yep, you head out of the mess hall and up the main staircase, which is kind of like a, a very steep spiral stair uh, through the hatch. You kind of lift up the, the large trap door that gets you onto the main deck. Um, as you're walking past, you see Garla leaning over the, the edge of the boat. He's kind of holding on to uh, a rope that's been tied to an anchor. He just leans over and he goes, I think it's a little more to the left, like, like over there. Do you see, see where that one, that one bolt's like kind of sticking? I think it's that one. It's hard to reach with my massive arm muscles. <laughs> <laughs> you heard something like Humble that over in, in the air. I don't know. <laughs> um, you you get to there's just a wooden wall uh, that separates you from the large uh, spherical cockpit, um, and and you can you can knock on it first if you want to, but it's unlocked. You know you can just swing it open. It's I'm gonna go ahead. I'm I'm gonna knock. Uh, forcibly, but not rudely. <laughs> oh, hello. I, I I'm gonna peek in. Uh, hey, hey. Uh, oh, oh, hey, Fox. How how's it going? Uh, you know, uh, you know, we're we're getting along down here. Um, wanted to come in and just, you know, check check how you're doing. Oh, I'm, I'm well. Um. Airships flying pretty good so far. Uh, are make a survival check. <laughs> With I think you're at three layers of exhaustion. If it's been three days, yeah. The be disadvantage. Down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is a four. <laughs> yeah, as as Bruiser says that. Um, you you see like a little alarm light begin illuminating and the whole ship begins listing to the left oh, behind you. You hear Garlo go, "Hang on to something! I can't! I I got! It's all slack up here." <laughs> oh, sorry. Let me fix that. Oh, okay, bring uh, it around. I'm gonna there we grab go. one of the kids and kind of just like gently push them a little closer uh, listen, Ada, Ada leans in and kind of reaches through a wing uh, you know like between a wing and an arm or whatever and like hits a button on oh, the, whoa, the panel whoa. and the whoa, ship kid. writes itself what are you doing I thought we agreed you were going to shadow hey, me hey, um, until hey, you were uh, ready Bruce, we're Bruiser, ready um, uh, let me just I wanted to talk to you actually um, I'm sure the ship will be fine for the little bit while we talk just 
let her handle it. Uh, it it'll be fine. We could we could talk right here. No, we need to talk privately. There's like five square feet of space in this cockpit, <laughs> so we can talk uh, right. Here. <laughs> yeah, we, we should talk somewhere else. Oh, if, if we if, need to be private, uh, we can let them go. I mean, they've been doing their best. No, no. Uh, we I, we would have been doing our best if you would put me on the freaking controls. Ada kind of stomps up to the front. When you were ready, I'm gonna just slowly put an arm on 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 your shoulder here and just be like, no, no. I I insist. Uh, in fact, we have a couple people down below who want to talk to you. Uh, they're not gonna fit up here. So people we, we need what to head people? down. I haven't talked to anyone other than us. Yeah, that's the problem. So let's head downstairs and fix that problem. Why is that a problem? Because I'm going to tell you downstairs why it's a problem. Uh, you're acting weird, Fox. Elfie, Elfie kind of like leans around um, Fox a little bit. He doesn't go into the cockpit. He's not trying to be confrontational, but he says... I, th I think that maybe he's trying to very politely get you to leave because your piloting is endangering us. But my piloting is not endangering us. I've kept us afloat this whole time. My man, you haven't slept in three days, and the distraction of me knocking on the door almost threw us all overside. Uh, we're, we're also, fine. technically, the ship floats on its own because the wood is buoyant. Uh, splitting hairs here. All right, fine. Loser. You two take over, but if something happens, I'm coming right back here. I I just yes, please. And you're going straight downstairs, and you're getting some sleep. And I better not see you in this cockpit for 24 hours. What if something happens? They'll need me. They will be fine. What if we we hit turbulence? I will personally come find you if it's that dire of a situation. Can't I just like I could bring a mat here, sleep here? In case. No, it's. Do you see? I can barely fit in here. The only other reason these kids can fit in here at the same time is because of how small they are. You're not going to be able to sleep here. We can barely stand I'm small right too. now. We can barely stand in this. Get, get out of here. I'm going to start <laughs> shoving Bruiser out the door. Okay. <laughs> uh, you you kind of shove Bruiser in front of you out onto the deck. As you do, you with your, your sort of passive perception and your roguish and bardish ability to just read social situations, uh, you see that um, among some of the other things you said, saying that you're certain they can handle it has earned you uh, like a lot of respect and like good vibes from Ada. <laughs> the like the pilot who's like been waiting for someone to trust her with responsibility for it. she's like a you know mid-teen and and she like kind of gives you a grin as you walk out the door and she I'm gonna, goes like, captain ada's on deck and she walks over to you know and like gets gets going i'm gonna um, look back as, and just give her like a little like as i'm being pushed re yeah. re remember down is up up is down left left right right <laughs> if they don't know that by now we were already doomed all right, so get your butt downstairs. It was at that moment they realized that Bruiser's only knowledge of how to fly an airship was to put in the Konami code and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, and so now, Fox, you and Bruiser are back uh, on the deck. The ship has righted itself and, and so far is, is smooth sailing. All right, I'm going to... I think Garlisle is the only one on deck currently. 
Yeah, he's on. He's got like a little toolbox next to him, and he's he's mostly just like waiting for Alan to you know hand me the whatever you know. He's he's like just there to assist. Uh, I'm gonna be like Garlo. Yeah, what's you up? See, you see this man get anywhere near the cockpit in the next 24 hours, you alert me and you stop him from entering the cockpit. Don't let him go in the cockpit. Isn't he the pilot? What? That's what's thank going? you, Garlo. You look you look sleepy, bud. You are he you. He hasn't okay? slept in three days. He hasn't slept in Alan, you can hear just Garlel's half of the conversation over the edge. Your pilot hasn't slept in three days. What's that about? After, before he said pilot, uh, Alan was about <laughs> to say, Garlo, you've just been sleeping the last three days. Um, <laughs> uh, that is uh, quite troubling uh, that Alan will try to yell like, Bruiser, go sleep. <laughs> See, see the, even even the ghostly voice from over the side of the ship that you're hallucinating because you're so tired is telling you to go to sleep. But but they need me. I need to get everyone to safety. They need you to be in good condition so you can get them to safety. That's what I'm doing. You're not in good condition. You're endangering us all. We are fine. I was doing good. I got us this I, far, didn't I? You were doing I? good until a knock on the door. What would have happened if somebody had appeared or if there was trouble? You were barely holding it together going in a straight line. But it was a great straight line that it was. You know what else is a great straight line? The straight line going down the <laughs> stairs into the bed. Get marching. Bruiser Hoffson and forlornly... Uh, makes his way down. He actually doesn't know where he's going fully because he hasn't explored <laughs> the ship. Okay. No. Oh, okay. No. That's that's is the cat here. All is right. It this way. No. Okay. It's fr down further. Keep going down the stairs. Eventually, you find the hatch uh, and you you go into the main stair and you you have to go through the mess hall to get to the crew quarters. So you walk into the mess hall and Radford is just finishing probably like his third or fourth biscuit that he's kind of pilfered from someone who's left um, as uh, as you make your way past. And so Radford, you can see Bruiser walking by. Um, Trevor, what, what's Bruiser's like demeanor and affect like? Um, he's probably got really dark bags under his eyes. Um, they're like, like, like slowly like opening and closing constantly. Um, He's probably very sluggish. Mm. Like a sloth badger instead of a winged badger. Yeah. Got him. His wings Got are droopy. You look like you've just been punched in the face. What's going on? Yeah. Fox made me leave. Did he punch you in the face? He Radford? Metaphorically. <laughs> Bruiser here is not allowed anywhere near the cockpit for the next 24 hours because somebody hasn't He's slept in three days. Oh. Thank you, Radford. No, he said, oh, because he waited until the end of the conversation or the end of the sentence. I'll jump the, the guy a here. Bit. I need to be up there. You well, well, need the... to be alive. I mean, you the... know, lack of sleep can kill. The cabins Name aren't one too person far... that's died from lack okay. of sleep. I'm, I'm sorry, That's Radford. That's what I thought. <sighs> Go on. The cabins are just below the, the cockpit, right? So if, if if you're needed, then we'll just call for you. You climb up the stairs. You're right there. No problem. 
Please don't hesitate to call me. They're actually on the opposite side of the ship. No, they're not. They're not, though. They're not? The crew quarters are right beneath the cockpit. You the got, crew quarters I don't are know right why you went all the way around and came in on the other side. I guess you took the scenic route, but... Yeah. Come here, pa. Come here, guy. I'll... Let's find your bunk and get you tucked in. So wait, did we go across the main deck and down, or did we go yeah. down through the cor- crew quarters kitchen mess hall? No, you le- you left through the door of the cockpit, went okay. across the main deck, so basically walked the whole way to the aft hey, end listen. of the cugboat, went down we already the stairs, had went into children. the mess hall, went the whole way towards the fore end of the cugboat. <laughs> two uh, children, a human-sized changeling, and, and a winged badger all shoved in the cockpit. We're not opening in a hatch. That's true. Yeah, yeah, to get to get down to the crew quarters from there, you would have to go through a floor hatch, which probably would not have opened. Uh, that's a great point. Um, so you you head through the kitchen where uh, the mountain is just finishing up dishes from the morning's breakfast. Um, when he gives like just like a big friendly nod to Radford um, as you as you walk in. Hey, buddy, can you put a pot of tea on for me? He gives you like a big old grin, and he grabs a kettle out of the. Um, out of out of a cupboard and shows it to you like this, I got it I know what you said um, he takes it over and turns on a wingle digit of create water which of course creates like two gallons of water or 20 gallons of water or something so it mm-hmm. way overflows the kettle um, but the rest of it just falls into a sink and then he puts the kettle on and it begins I boiling. got some stuff here and I pull some specialty leaves out um, go ahead and brew up some of this for me I'll be back in a minute come on Bruce, he gives you a big thumbs up um, and you head out the the other side of the kitchen and into the crew quarters. Um, this area near the the aft end of the the ship uh, is I, calling it roomy is not not the way. Uh, it's like a twenty by thirty foot room. It's it's bunks, you know, enough to sleep six people. And then there's just like a, a small chest um, at the head and the foot of each bunk. So you know, one person picks the end, whatever chest at the end to store their things in. Um, and that's that's the room. Uh, it it doesn't smell super great. Like everyone in the crew is sleeping in this tiny cramped room. Um, it's dark. You know, it's it's lit probably by like a couple candles that are that are just lit in there. Um, wood floors, but there are some beds. <clears throat> all right, Bruiser. You know you know the deal. Usually we all share this one, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna. I'll let you have the bed. We'll figure out sleeping arrangements f- for the rest of us. You are to sleep until you're well rested, and that is a minimum of eight hours. And and you know what? I I you need to sleep a little longer than that. You got a lot of catching up to do, and then after that, you are to rest and eat and do nothing else. All right. I've had food brought up to me. Yes, I know. But you've been working that entire time, and I need you to rest. It's because there's all right. that's all we have to do. No, rest is important. We piloting. Have, we got a few days focus. before we uh, before we get there, and you don't want to be like this if if something goes down. Yeah, you want well, to be up there game. if something goes down, and we will be called. Promise. So, I promise. Why would we not if call you? you? You're the best pilot up here. Well, but thank you're not you. The That's only why pilot. I need to be there. You're not the only pilot, though. Thank you. And we need our good pilot to be in good condition. Otherwise, you're not a good pilot anymore. 
but Fox I need to being be up very there loud in case something people, happens. His people starting to sleep. Sorry. You know, they, they, they've only just learned how to pilot. Yeah. They're smart right. kids, though. They're pretty, listen, they're pretty capable. I just stop and listen. I mean, it's not like they're going to hit something. Do you, do you hear I hope not. Do you hear problems with the ship right now? Do you do you feel it listing uncontrollably? Not at the no. moment. I just rolled a check for them and they nat 20 it. The ship is <laughs> flying so smoothly right now that you can barely tell it's in motion. There's two of them. They're going to be fine. But I, I, I put you and D Street in charge. There were two of you. Look how that turned out. No, no. What does See? that mean? That's because I'm terrible at it. These kids are good. <laughs> I mean, we hand-selected them out of all of the ones in here. They have the most aptitude. You trained them yourself. It's okay. I trained you in B Street, too. You tried to. You tried to, but you weren't successful because of me. Listen. Hey, Bruiser. Are you okay? What do you mean? Like... I don't understand why you're putting up such a fight. The storm, the clouds are clearing, and we can kind of see what's around. There's, I need there's nothing to make out sure, there. I'm sure everyone gets gets to where we're going safely. Yeah. You said that. We all are trying to do that. You don't need to kill yourself flying through safe skies to guarantee that. But you never know when something happened, could happen. That's true. You never All know. Right. Has this journey not taught you anything? <sighs> Just one thing after the other. Yes. But we've I... always gone through it, and we've dealt with it. We've also Have never not? not slept. And we've also shared the load. Thank you. We didn't go through all of this and by ourselves. You can't carry everything by yourself. You know this, Bruiser. You, we've been on heists together. You were never like this during the heists. You were never during this our entire time traveling. That's because during the heist, we didn't have a crew, or not a crew, but passengers to protect. We all were, were capable. Not all of these people are capable. It's true. I, mean, I know you guys. I trust you guys. I don't know them. I don't know what's going to happen. The first job we worked together. You had to trust me, right? You got to take that leap of faith. You personally trained these kids. Weren't you at some point a novice as well? Didn't know how to pilot. Didn't know up from down. I'm exaggerating, but you get what I'm saying. I, 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 I don't know. I've always just done, been on my own. I've done everything on my own. What do you mean you've done everything on your own? Somebody had to teach you something. I guess, like, what, what is, what does a slave owner teach a slave? You know. Then I escaped, escaped slavery on my own. I found a city. I taught myself what I needed to 
All right, let's let's sit down. <laughs> what's what's on your mind, prisoner? I wanna I wanna protect everyone. I need okay everyone. I need everyone to to stay safe. I don't want. I don't want anyone to to resent us for what we're doing. I don't want to be looked down upon. We're trying so hard to help these people, and I don't know. It just like we took them from their home. You know, it's bringing up old things, you know, me being taken from my home, my family being left behind. I don't even know if there's, if they're still alive. I don't, I don't know who's still around. Okay. Listen. First, be reassured. You're not a slaver. We're not slavers. We didn't steal these people. No, I know that, but. I did. They left. They're my people. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Brutus, they, they left. Chill. They left their own pe- some of their people behind too. And so we have to keep them alive to make sure that they get to get to live on and maybe restart their community somewhere nice. And we're gonna do that. We're doing a great job so far, and for us to continue doing that great job. We need you to be in the best condition you can be. Hey, Bruiser. That's. Uh, what's your plan? Well, we were going to Gaim. I don't know if that's still the plan. Still the plan, as of okay. right now. Still the plan. Okay. What's your plan, though, for uh, piloting? Uh, you smart guy. You got this worked out. I figure. Yeah, we're gonna just. Hopefully, sail smoothly to Gaim uh, from here. and That's like two weeks away, right? Yeah. So what's your plan? I mean, I figured eventually someone would take over. I just need to feel comfortable observing them mm-hmm. under under close watch so that they really understand what's at stake. Do you think that you uh open your eyes up? Okay. Do you think that you're uh even able to to watch him right now? I like I I could just kind of lay up there with them and then if they needed me I'd be right there. Okay. Okay. And Radford like grabs a blanket and uh, and a pillow and goes into the uh, uh kitchen. And comes back with a warm cup of tea. Here, this is for you. We'll put you up in a little... We'll, we'll let you sleep in the back of the cockpit up there. And, uh... Yeah. Get some rest. Get some sleep. Mm. But you're not flying. Remember, you're just keeping an eye on them. That's They'll fine. probably feel better with you there. And if you feel better with them there, it's fine. Bruiser will grab a pillow and take the blanket from Radford and uh, the cup of tea and uh, like are these corridors enough for him to like flap his wings in to fly up? 
Not probably, probably if he turns sideways. It's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty narrow. I okay. I don't know that he would be able to like fly through the ship. Um, also, I don't know if he has the physical strength to fly through the ship <laughs> at this That's stage. Fair. Um, uh, make a. He, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say he like walks over to the ladder, looks down at like his hands being full, looks up. Uh, could could one of you help me? Of course. <sighs> a whisper over to Radford. <laughs> just want you to know that I think would be better if he slept in a bed. Sure. And I'm unhappy with this compromise. <laughs> but at the same time, at least he's going to sleep, so I will not disagree openly about it. Okay. Appreciate <laughs> you. <laughs> we'll talk later. I grab a, a blanket Make a, of, Bruiser, uh, make a constitution Bruiser. save. Uh, DC 10. Okay. By the way, DM, these specific herbs are very sleep-inducing. That's some stuff okay. that's that had on them for a while. DC 15. That is a 9. Uh, Bruiser, like, it basically falls asleep on his feet at the door, like, at the base of the ladder, waiting for someone to come help him. I got you, bud. I got you. And I'm going to wrap him up in the blanket. Here, take his tea. He can still smell it. Keep it nearby. And, uh, well, we haven't gone up, and I'm not carrying him up these steps. Let's put him (laughs) in bed. Okay. I'm good with this. And so as you you tuck Bruiser in, uh, Alan, make... And artificer tools check as you're like hanging off the side of a ship by a rope harness, trying to modify the thrusters in such a way that while you modify one, the imbalance between it and the other thruster doesn't send the ship into a spin. Yay. 24. Normal things. 24. It's going great. Um, there's a lot of um, pauses where you're like, okay, B Street, I need you to go and change this thing and this other thing in engineering so that the thrusters feel the same, like so we can pilot the ship properly. Um, but at least, you know, at least at least it's going. Um, it's honestly, it's not even that tense. It's more of like kind of a fun. You're just out there enjoying the view. You know, you're kind of chilling on the side of the airship there. Um, and so, and and you know, you can see clouds spread out all directions away from you. You're just kind of quietly working. Um, take us into, you know, what's it like for Alan in this, this experience, you know, take us in, take us into his mind. Yeah. What's he thinking about, you know, maybe his mind's wandering, maybe he's tunnel focused. What, what's going on? Well, Alan enjoys talking to Garlel because Garlel, you know, has a similar, similar personality or mind to Alan, but Garlel is a lot more laid back and Alan, as a kid, and even now, always viewed Garlil as just like he's like he's he's cool. And so, um, and also at this point in our journey, Alan is probably the most confident in himself he's ever been. So catching up with Garlil has just been really nice. So that part of it has been good. But in between those times, um, as Alan is is suspended from the airship and there's this beautiful view around him while he's just like you know focusing on these intricate things that he needs to modify and that he's trying to make sure run as efficiently as possible and as you know he he knows how they work 
because, you know, Bruiser told them how they work because this was one of Bruiser's main things that Bruiser worked on when they were repairing the ship. Um, he's in this, like, when, he, when he's not speaking to Garlel, there's kind of these pauses in their conversation. And when that happens and he's concentrated on the work, it's just very peaceful. Um, he feels kind of like, you know, man, if I could do this all the time, like if this was my thing, I would be content. And so he kind of comes to a realization as he's working on the thruster in one of those peaceful moments where there's these wisps of clouds kind of going by that he's like thinking about what he wants to do after this is all done. Like after, you know, let's say maybe we defeat the Aboliths and the world is enslaved and he hasn't thought about like what that would look like really. Um, so he's just thinking about, you know, repairing this and optimizing it and messing with it and trying to find the best way for it to work. And he's just like really content and thinking about, man, if I could do this for the rest of my days, I would, I would love that. So he's, he's just really enjoying the process. What's he been talking to, um, to Garlil about? You know, like, I mean, obviously some of it is just like, can you pass me that wrench or whatever? Yeah, but like, yeah. You know, what, you know. He's, uh, he's been he's been kind of telling Garlel the story of what's been happening since we last saw him. Like, there's been so much that's Wait, so happened. he's always eaten the dessert rations? Like, that's been since you started traveling oh, with yeah. him? Yeah, and, he's and always for, been doing that? for a while it was, you know, when we didn't quite know each other, it was a bit worrying because all of us would go... Why are the desserts gone? And and it was a bit strange when, you know, it was like, okay, well, someone must be eating them. Um, but eventually it was Fox who cracked and admitted that it was him. Uh, so that was quite a story. And so it was quite ironic when he suggested um, that we eat some desserts uh, <laughs> last night. Um, yeah, that's pretty great. But yes, no, it's uh, it's 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 just been... It's been a whirlwind, and I don't, I don't really know. Was it very uh, well? No, I must assume actually that uh, it was not necessarily eventful, uh, being in Thraxenhaus' domain, as events are Thraxenhaus' least favorite thing. Yeah, uh, mostly it was about trying to make it not feel very eventful. Uh, the big guy was not super jazzed about having us join him. I mean, he so there, there was this weird kind of like begrudging friendship between Thraxenhow and Setonia. I think at some point Kotix or, or maybe Setonia or so, I think someone must have helped him kind of build his lair on, on that mountain because like, honestly it's really deep and complicated. It's not mm. just that surface room that your, your friends went into. And I just don't know that he has like the, the intellectual, thought processes to really develop. So he seems much more like a take the cave you find and maybe make it a little bigger kind of mm. dragon. Um, and I've known a lot of dragons, I'll tell you. Uh, yes. But he he doesn't strike me as the the architect type of dragon. Um, and yet, you know, he's so so I think there's probably some of that. Maybe that was how Setonia, you know, pacified him and, and got him to let her stay there Fair. Uh, for however long she'd been there. Um, 
but but yeah, a lot of our time there was spent trying not to to disturb him. Uh, I was able to convince him to let me stay by promising to help guard his horde, which, uh, as you can imagine, at the top of that mountain was just me standing in the room where his horde was. Pretty much, that's it. That's that's that, about that, what, what that sounds the job as was. though. Yes, it would be his idea of guarding the horde. Yeah, there there wasn't really anywhere to patrol. There wasn't anything to be worried about. There was just like, well, here's a pile of stuff encased in ice. I guess I'll stand in here and shiver for you know most of most of the day. Which, like, don't get me wrong, I'd way rather be there than in you know in that magic circle with that huge sphere of annihilation you know ha- hanging over my head. Yes. Uh, so it's no you know no knock on you but but yeah i mean it could have been it could have been oh hey don't drop that bolt uh it could it could have been better uh, as far as just you know conversation let's just say he's not the best conversationalist sure i i uh, i got that impression um i guess was uh Setonia the best conversationalist i have not hardly interacted with her whatsoever i don't know anything about her really yeah she didn't say much either um i think that she's probably in her own head though Setonia speaks uh speaks several languages that that i speak she can speak is what i'm trying to say um but she didn't and i think she's probably in her own head because uh shortly before the darkening shrub approached her uh and and said that he had had a prophecy of some bad things like or or a prophetic vision of some bad things happening and he he had this plan for like how he could stop it and she uh, was like, nah, that's not the way that, you know, Kotix works and the diverging paths and you have to let the waters fork and the stuff. Um, and I think she now feels uh, a lot of responsibility for Shrub hmm. no longer being with us. So I think that's been that's been pretty heavy for her. Do you think that she would be open to discussing how she feels about that um, and maybe where her head is at in that in that way? with uh the monks that are on the ship i'm not sure i guess maybe i mean they worship her right that whole that whole guilds thing well maybe not her but like kotix yes and she's she's i mean she's the closest thing to kotix they're gonna get unless we can we can get this ritual working and you know reconnect your your world to the rest of the worlds um, hmm. Yes, it, it just I think it may be beneficial um, to boost their morale as well as um, uh, the the rest of the the guys and I we had a conversation with Soul Eris last night that didn't go extremely well. Um, they're very discontent with the situation, which is understandable, but laying a lot of blame onto us. Uh, and I I I understand that. However, last night my I felt my pride was insulted a bit and. Um, got somewhat um, overzealous in my defense of our actions, I believe. A little but stormy, maybe? A, a bit, yes. <laughs> I I would describe it that way. I just, you know, when, when, when the logic of our decisions or my decisions is questioned, I just get overly defensive. But um, I think that just may be beneficial to keep all of us on the same page uh, as I know that this you know, this order, they pride themselves on that same principle that you discussed, the diverging paths and the, and the letting the water flow and that sort of thing. Um, so I don't mm. know. It just might be, might be good. I'll try and mention it to her. Like I said, she hasn't really said anything to me, but I mean, you know, I can say words to her and, and see what happens. 
Uh, also, so this thing's written in, in Elvish, uh, which I don't speak, so I can't totally follow this diagram that Bruiser drew for us <laughs> of the thruster, but I think as soon as you tighten down that piece, I think this one's actually done. Uh, you should, when you tighten that last one down, it looks like either it's supposed to glow or maybe it farts. <laughs> I will assume it's the glow, but, um, and then Alan will like reach a hand up and try to touch the Elvish with his hand so that the comprehend languages from the rod will just tell him what it, what it is. Uh, it's supposed to glow. It's supposed okay. to glow like a, a bright red. Yes, it, 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 it will glow. And Alan goes back down to tighten the last piece. And as you tighten that last bolt down and it, it seats um, as far in as it needs to, the heat begins to kind of conduct through it and it almost like welds into place. And mm. you can feel like the thruster stops shuddering, basically. Like you've done whatever the optimizing was on this side of the airship. And so there's just the, the one to go on the other side. Um, and, and Garla looks down and goes, did it, did it work? Uh, yes, it appears to be uh, operating at full capacity. I think we're ready for the other side. Well done. Uh, come up here. You're not going to want to miss this. And um, as yeah, he kind of helps you, you know, he probably pulls on your rope or whatever, gives you a hand getting back up there. Um, and as you unhook from the, the huge, like, iron loop that's on the, the deck of the ship, he points off to one side, and you can see just this huge, like, it almost looks like a massive thunderhead uh, cloud, like, you know, like one of those mm -hmm. big pillar clouds, except that it's too tall and too thin. And he says, just just wait, just wait. And as the, as the airship gets closer to the end of the weather formation and the ground will, I mean, you're not looking down, but the ground would be getting clearer as well. The, the, the cloud wisps off to, to the south kind of blow away and you see for the first time, like not close, but not that far away, the pillars of eternal vigil, these three mm. huge uh, like onyx monuments basically they're I'm not crafted of onyx but they're black like onyx yeah. would be just like huge straight up textured kind of like hammered steel where it's like a rough hewn it, it almost looks like literally some god or creature took three chisels and just hammered each of them once into like the bedrock of Urida. so it's just this massive like naturally occurring rock formation it goes down as far as you can see and up as far as you can see they're embedded into the water um and as you're looking down, you can see like, you know, oh, there's the ocean there as you lean over. Um, and then as you kind of look further from the water and you kind of get your glimpse to the north, um, you get your first sort of bird's eye view of like the mainland of Urida, and it's pretty devastating. Um, the, the grassy plains of Zoth's nomadic people are barren. Smoke is still wafting upwards from a dozen dots uh, in, in different directions as different shrines of Kotix burn. Um, in Stonefield, the area where you kind of reunited um, and, and got back on the airship. So looking back behind you to the west, a lot of those rocks have been knocked over and, and kind of formed into, it almost looks like asphalt now or, or like gravel um, as a lot of it's been kind of bulldozed or plowed over. Um, and um, for, go ahead and make a perception check. Let's see how far in into the distance you can see. I was going to also ask, do we see any marching armies like in our current view? Great question. Yeah. 16. 16. Um, so for sure, like Alan knows military formations and you can see the, the army that had been um, at the frozen Fang, it's way behind you to the East, but you can see they're in like a column formation, just kind of marching. They seem to be going back towards Tumbleweb. 
and mm. you can see way off in the distance. Tumbleweb is kind of like the curve of the horizon. You know, it's about as far as you can see from here um, to the north. And Tumbleweb is, um, it, it, it's not, so Tumbleweb, the city is underground. But where Tumbleweb should be above that is just a huge encampment, probably around the size of three or four of the army that marched on Stainless when you were part of it. Jeez. Um, just this massive, I mean, it's just, it's just like a line of, of little black, it looks like an anthill from this far mm -hmm. away, you know, but like a, a, just a line of like black tents and dots and things that are kind of silhouetted out there. Um, you are passing above, like, you're not quite even with the, the pillars of eternal vigil, but you're between where Nottery is and where the pillars are. So you're sort of just coming back over land after crossing that river Delta, um, you're, you're headed back into that direction. And so you're also passing over the, you've passed the, the now barren hills of where Zoth's nomadic people were, um, where Fox's commune was, where he grew up. You can see the smoke kind of coming off of the, the rubble of that. Looking north towards Aspesh, you see a surprisingly little uh, levels of devastation, um, but their navy, which is docked in that sea, is flying a new flag emblazoned with uh, the emblem of a rod being broken over an anvil. Um, nice. And That's no good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit ahead of you, labeled on this map as rust-free, but what is now the city of Stainless. Um, the city of Stainless is also occupied with uh, the, the little ant hills <sighs> of army kind of choking oh. the streets and the mountain passes. That, that um, disheartens, Alan. Through it like, that like disheartens Alan a lot. It's like the second time he's seen that city occupied, I guess. That, yeah. That is, like, that's tough. Yeah. Um, and so that's, as you're looking out at all of that stuff, Garlel is still looking south and, and westwards, or south and east towards the Pillars of Eternal Vigil. And he just very kind of calmly tells you, it's pretty impressive that we can see them. I wonder if that means we can get to them. They're uh, historically... There's been a haze that surrounds those pillars that causes travelers to get lost, to lose their bearings. Uh, and some people think that that's a myth, but it was Gantes who made it, and I can tell you it's real. Um, I've even flown in there and, and gotten lost. And I can tell you for sure that in the library uh, that we once had, uh, with its bazillions of historical texts and prophetic readings and sermons and all those things. Gantes never said anything about a ceiling on that haze. So I'm a little concerned that if we, you know, if we go straight through, we may lose our bearings in a big way. Um, but so you're I, suggesting that we may need to navigate around. Yeah. I, I already went up and told the kids in the cockpit um, during a point where you seemed like you pretty much had it under control. Uh, I walked up and and let them know to go around, so they they know they should be they should be adjusting our course here okay. pretty soon. But all right, well, um, uh, I appreciate you keeping an eye on it. That was something that I guess I was unaware of. Yeah, and I well, and it it sounded like from what you were you were saying about your meeting the other day, it sounds like you might be trying to get into one of those pillars, right? Ah, uh, well, or on top of them or whatever. We uh, we know that this ship may have been built by them on top of it, and. By the, the Order of Wizards on top of one of them. wonder if they're still alive, if there hasn't been any magic up there. I do not know. Um, I know that it, it, it may come to a point where we need to go on top of one of those pillars. Um, but right now our priority is reaching Gaim and then uh, 
finding K. So I think that's what we're what we're and doing picking now. up Laredith, right? Can't wait to give her crap. She designed well, yes. a library, and it fell as soon as we took one thing out of it. That is, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't thought of it that way. That is a funny way of describing. Thought it. you were supposed to be able to check stuff out of a library, <laughs> but no, here we are, big pile of rubble. That uh, uh, that you is, get the that you get the that impression happened. that he's using the jokes to kind of cope with the fact that, like, you know, sure. he's, it's still it's it's been three years, but that's not that long when you're as yeah. old as an avatar is, um, and so he's kind of coping with the humor a little bit yes um, gallows uh, humor if you will but um yes that will be part of reaching gaim and then uh she and i will concentrate on trying to construct the machine that will bind the rods together and you're welcome to help as well if that interests you but i mean i'm yes. i'm happy to be on hand but anything that's about establishing orders probably not my area uh perhaps that's probably not not the right the right kind of build for me to be involved in I like volatile things. Um, speaking of fair. volatile things, downstairs in the airship, uh, while Bruiser naps, uh, Fox and uh, Radford, what are the two of you up to? You've just kind of tucked Bruiser in, and you're now kind of standing in. You know, you can hear maybe his little gentle badger snores, um, and the two of you are standing in the, the, the crew cabins. Hey, come with me. I have to do something. Sure. I follow Radford. Um, so back at the dining room table. Okay, uh, back in the mess hall. Well, I'm I'm saying back when we were at the dining room table, okay. and when Radford grabbed the rest of Fox's dinner, um, and appeared to be scarfing down food. What he was secretly doing was what he's been doing for the past three days, and that is pocketing it. Um, and handing it out to the kids to give them like an extra ration. Aww. Um, and he says, uh, tells Fox what he's been doing. And uh, those kids really look up to you. You're, you're, you know, I'm, I'm old. I, you know, I know a lot and have, oh, a, I'm a bit of a figure, but, but they think you're really cool. And uh, nah, they just think I'm, you know. No, they do. They do. I'm. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. This is my observation. <laughs> they think you're cool. And uh, I'd like you to to give this out, if you don't mind. Oh. Yeah. Just make my rounds for the night. There's a couple kids who, uh, yeah, they they need a little bit more. Sure. And uh, I'll, I'll, start I'll walk around with you, but um, if you don't, if you don't the, have objections to it. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll start with the cockpit and we'll work our way down there from there. Yeah, as you, as you head through the mess hall towards the cockpit, um, when you get onto the main stairs, you can see in the airlock. Um, so the main the main stairs basically you can spiral up towards the the hatch that takes you onto the main deck, or there's actually another airlock where you can go straight and there's a balcony that just protrudes off the back of the airship off the, of the cugboat, and that little airlock hatch has um, three kids in it who are dressed in it almost looks like they've got normal monk clothes on like their normal robes. 
Um, but then over top of it, they've just torn some random strips of fabric from bed sheets and like tried to tie them like, oh, I've got cool little bracers on my arms and stuff. And they're standing there with Mockery, who's got a cigar kind of sticking out of her mouth. And she's instructing them on the different ways to use a very, very small dagger. She's clearly taken daggers and like found a way to sort of cut them down to half size, you know, like so the blades are still there's still a safe edge and a, and a sharp edge, but she's just found a way to kind of make it smaller so that it's more kid-sized and they can handle them. And she's showing them how to use them to like wedge into the space between the wood and kind of like um, suss out, like if there's any little bugs or whatever in there, they'll skitter out. And so one kid is in charge of like, I'm gonna wake all the bugs up. And then they jump backwards and the other two kids jump in and try and like, oh, I'm gonna get them. And, um, and so Mockery is just giving them little pointers. You watch as they dispatch like tiny little cockroaches and stuff. Um, but Mockery notices you watching and she goes, every now and then they get something bigger. And she opens up the pocket of, uh, you know, like the big pockets in her sleeves or whatever of her monk robes. And you can see that there's another one of those little beetle things that jumped on Bruiser and it's been just like impaled through. And she goes, that's their work. Um, <laughs> And she's just kind of like having a, a grand old time, like teaching these little kids how to be edgy monks. Um, All right. Well, uh, I've got rewards. Listen for up, kids. The monster killers. First mates on deck. They immediately turn around and snap to attention. Oh, whoa. Redford walks <laughs> up and down the line. Mm -hmm. Good form. Good form. You've been providing a very valuable service to the ship. And. Uh, Got a little something extra for you for your labors. First mate. And I've got some more treats. They all well, like, yay! You know, like all, all composure breaks and they're all excited yeah. <laughs> to eat food. Um, mockery I looks on approvingly you. as you, yeah, hand out for little you. biscuits or whatever to them. They all sit down. They're like, they, they look like. Um, like, you know, sailors who are busy all day unloading and loading boats where they're like they're sitting down, you know, legs crossed, leaning back against the side of the thing, trying to be like all all edgy and like, oh, yeah, I've been doing sailing stuff. Um, but they're <laughs> but it's like a single biscuit, you know, so they're like sitting yeah. there eating the little biscuit you hand out or whatever and kind of talking to each other about how cool they are. Wow, you guys are getting pretty good at this. Just. uh Remind me to watch my back, eh? We won't. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> um, as you're as you're having that conversation with them, um, Nikki, one of your lookouts you've trained, um, throws open the hatch really quickly. So there's just very suddenly, like your ears pop a little bit, and you suddenly hear the rush of wind. She leans over and goes, "We can see the the, the tall the the pillars. We we can see them." Ooh. And then she goes scampering off across the main deck. I, all right, kids, who wants to see one of the wonders of the world? They all stand back up. One of them goes, I'm on break. But the other two stand up and he <laughs> walks up with you. Um, and they, they'll follow you up to the, the main deck. All right. I uh, hop on top of the main deck, uh, slyly shove some biscuits into the lookout's pockets. Give him a pat on the back and uh, look out to the horizon. In the distance, um, Aulin and Garlel are standing on the ship. Aulin, this is after your conversation and observations. Um, as you hear like the little scampering of footsteps running across the deck, 
and you um, maybe turn, maybe don't, but the three kids run up first to like stand next to you, and you can tell that um, Garlel at least has been kind of ingratiating himself with the monks. They all run up and kind of like hug his knees or whatever, like yeah, it's good to see you, um, <laughs> Mr. G. And then um, the others kind of walk up next to you and, and join the line, and and now all of you are there. Uncle Gar, <laughs> <laughs> how go the repairs, Captain? Ah, well, you know it. Uh, it goes. One of we're halfway there. And uh, halfway there successfully, so feeling good about about the other thruster. I didn't have any doubts. Thank you. I I appreciate it. How did uh, getting our helmsman to sleep go? Oh, he's 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 tucked in. We got him some. Radford made sure to give him a nice hot drink and uh, a pillow and a blanket, and uh, my man didn't even make it to the bed. That reminds me, Trevor, um, because you got some like sleepy monk herbs, uh, you can recover two layers of exhaustion instead of one from this, okay. this long rest. Sounds good. Um, well, so yeah, the, it's like midday, you know, the sun's like straight up and you're... That's, that's you the are. brand. It's it's sleepy monk tea. <laughs> <laughs> sleepy monk TM. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, got well, well, I greatly appreciate you guys being able to speak to him about that. I hadn't even realized that he had been awake that long i think just he had been so diligent and communicating with me and we had just been talking through stuff that i didn't even realize that he hadn't even gone to sleep yet i'm gonna be honest i could have sworn somebody had replaced him at some point i mean that was that was the intention he was the one so adamant about finding you know extra crew people but either way i just i I just greatly appreciate it yeah i i think the the idea of having you know so many people on board as I pat the kids' heads. Uh, I, th- I think that really just kind of pushed them to sure. try a lot harder. And uh, So many maybe... crew, you mean, one of them says, like correcting it. We're not <laughs> just people, we're the crew. Sorry, my apologies. Agreed. I've never been on such a well-staffed vessel. <laughs> but, hey, uh, Cap. Yes. Um, uh, can you uh, take a look at this? It, it looks kind of interesting, and I've had, you know, I was going through my scrolls and stuff the other day, and that stuff that uh, Fox found, and uh, I want to pull out the the big book slash manual that we found that we were unable to read. I think it's written in common, but I know you can, uh, so I can't read it, but I know you can, like, read all sorts of stuff. Do you <laughs> Do you know what's in this? Alan will let uh, Radford believe that the reason he can read common is because of comprehend languages, not because he speaks <laughs> common. Right, not because it is a common language. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I can definitely take a look, and Alan will open it up. Uh, what What is the manual? That's what I was just going to check. Did I tell you which manual you found? There was, it's, it just says a book slash manual, but you can't read the cover. <laughs> because oh. it's written in common. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. Um, let me let me pull it up here. And there's also the spell book with the cover ripped off, which we'd like to look at as well. Yes. Um, Alan, uh, what is your highest level spell slot? Oh, uh, only level one. Alan is only a level four artificer, so. Uh, you feel, um, hang on, I need to do some rolling. 
Uh oh. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> take it all back. <laughs> we don't even know how Alan It was written it. in uncommon. <laughs> uh, let's see. 6, 12, 13, 15, 22. You feel uh, 22 hit points of psychic damage get siphoned away from your mind and into the rod of intelligence as uh, it protects you from the enchantments that guard this book being read by someone who does not meet the proper requirements. And um, as it does this, you get, you get both the understanding that it's not something it will always do, like it can only absorb so many traps like this. Um, so this is not like a protection the rod will always get you. But by being attuned to it, it sort of fades into, um, into, into words for you just long enough for you to read that it is called the Manual of Clay Golems. Um, and then as, as the cover fades back into runes, it's not common, it's just runes that are like arcanely protecting it. Um, the, the rod kind of quiets back down and as you look away from the cover, you feel the damage stop kind of siphoning mm. into you and, and the, you know, it's, it, it stops affecting you in that way. Um, but you get the idea that like, had you not been attuned to the rod of intelligence when you read that, it would have gone very poorly for you. Ah, ah, well, it seems as though this is, uh, a very high level book of magic or and um it seems to have runes that are protecting it i think the rod of intelligence just kept a sort of protection or trap from springing on me by opening it or trying Darla to read leans it down intrigued can i can i take a look uh surely just be aware of i guess what i just said and <laughs> alan will <laughs> hand it over uh i believe the title is the manual of clay golems Radford is very Ooh. proud that his inability to read common has saved him from this yeah. danger. <laughs> saved him from a danger. Garlo picks it up and says, fascinating. I didn't know any of these survived. I thought I had them all. I had a bit of a collection. Um, this is a, a guide for a spellcaster of sufficient power to create clay, clay golems, uh, which is hmm. an expensive and lengthy process. Um, and the book will consume itself when the process is done. It is, I, I don't even know which archmage wrote down these instructions. I never did. I don't really do instructions. I don't know if you've gotten <laughs> that idea from me and Comtes yet, me and Big G, but uh, we prefer to just kind of let things happen where they happen, and when mages figure stuff out, we think that's cool. Uh, so this is probably from the Jean, the Jean Church, but... Uh, you know, that's that that is what it is. I if you're okay with it, I think I would love to hang on to this and make sure nobody else accidentally tries to read it and suffers great damage. I'll give it back if you've got somebody who can like use it. But you would need somebody who is uh, you know, a, a spellcaster who's reached the fifth echelon in their in their power. Ah, uh, well, uh I believe um uh our friend Jeb uh, could take a look at it and utilize the it mole. at some point. Yes, the dirt folk. Yes, um, but uh, as as he is uh, currently, you know, shepherding the frozen dragons tier, <laughs> I think that uh, you know, you know if that you will be a later about it, time. Alan, it makes sense. You know, Jeb, the dirt folk, learning how to make people out of clay. Ah, uh, yes, that that actually uh, is <laughs> quite yeah, poetic. <laughs> Yeah. Garlo just kind of tucks it into like a, a satchel or a bag or whatever that he that he keeps with him. And he's like, I promise I'm not taking it from you. I'll give it back. Who am I, mean, I to try and protect the world from fun magical influences? But I, 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 <laughs> I mean, do you you have a history of actually protecting 
literature and books and things of that nature. So I okay, am that's not fair. mistrusting that's you. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. And this, um, kids, is why you don't mess with magical artifacts that you don't understand. Oh yeah, it's a good teachable moment. Uh, <laughs> as the, the kids are just the kids are are doing that quiet thing that all kids seem to be able to do of like, oh, the the only way for me to learn more about this cool secret is for me to not remind them I'm here. You know, so they're all <laughs> sort of like very quietly just listening to the the conversation and trying to not get noticed. And Alan um, will add, uh, and the only reason why I was protected is because the, of a magical item that I also do not understand, but somehow found a way to sort of understand. And Alan taps the rod. <laughs> Okay, you're not helping, all right? <laughs> that kind I mean, of muddies the waters of the lesson. Uh, at that moment, a shrill whistle blows at the other end of the, the deck uh, back at the hatch, and you can see that Mockery is, is summoning her little crew of, of exterminators back to her. She goes, all we right, found a spider! You you know, and, they, and they all go rushing over, like, we're going to get him! Um, and, they, and they run off to fulfill all my wildest dreams of having spiders exterminated this. by your own personal extermination crew. Uh, <laughs> as they run back towards the, the hatch and back down. And then it is just the, um, the leadership and, and Garlil who are up there on the deck. Well, uh, Garlil, mm -hmm. if you're ready to, I think I'm ready to fix the other thruster let's get to it let's get you hitched in and he uh, heads over to the you know the anchor point to tie the knot for you do you guys need anything or while i'm up here i'm going to need some food and sleep after i'm done with this but for now i'm doing just fine yeah i think maybe the best thing that you can do is maybe check on your pilot and make sure that there's not some underlying something you know, like I just, in my experience, uh, people who stay awake for three days in times of like complete and utter tranquility, such as are sailing across the top of this clouds, uh, they're not staying awake like by accident. You know what I mean? There's usually some reason underlying that. Uh, I... So maybe just check on your buddy. He might need, you know, he might need some friends to. I'm support him. planning on it i just was hoping to let him sleep well i'm sure i mean i'm sure you can let him sleep and then just wake him up you know um like when it's evening right because you you put him to sleep this morning i i remember when you walked yes. him out of the out of the cockpit so uh maybe yes, just take I, him I, some dinner uh you know and and see if there's see if you can help him you know, you know, get to the bottom of, of what's going Carlo, on. Carlo, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't know to how to have any interaction with another creature. You it's know, true. He's terrible so. at it. It is, it is such a good thing that you're here. And, I'm just saying and honestly, that sometimes... Honestly, it's a miracle that I've made it to this age. You know? <laughs> I, I just... Thanks, Carlo. Carlo tips his hat at you choosing to ignore the sarcasm. Um, and as you walk away, he says, maybe one day I'll teach you how to tune your saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, he, um, and then he uh, holds out, you know, what, the little tool bag to Alan, and they, they get back to work. You can hear uh, B Street from underneath the thruster, like, yelling up, you know, like, I'm here, I'm ready, ready to go. As Alan steps over the side, he goes, uh, I've pointed that out before, and I was told it was intentional. And Alan kind of, like, ear quotes <laughs> when he says intentional and steps over the side. Nice. All right, enough of this. I'm going downstairs. <laughs> Alan, uh, you roll an artificer tools check for me. Let's see how working on the thruster goes. Uh, Fox and Radford, you've got you know a couple hours yet um, 
before Bruiser's going to wake up. Um, what would you like to do with that time? Um, I'm, I'm finding the rest of the kids if I haven't already, you know. Cool. You're finishing. just handing out the rest of your, your snacks. Yeah. And uh, just just checking, uh, getting the general vibe of how people are doing. Just, you know, not worried necessarily. Just keeping a pulse on things, you know. Checking the pulse, I guess, of the sure. vibe. Uh, maybe make an investigation check as you're just going around checking out the vibe. And you've got Radford with you, so do it with advantage. Unless Radford's doing something else. Um, I was going to do something else, but I okay. you know, I, was, I can make one tour around. What would Radford yeah. like to do? Radford wants to work a little bit more on uh, his documents on where Kay is located and see if he can't make some progress on that front. Sounds great. So that would be just going through the notes he's already taken or like what? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly like going through the notes that he's already taken, maybe uh, try to talk with uh, Satonia or Garwell and maybe like gather, I don't know, like gather some avatari vibes. You know, I'm trying to suss this out with wisdom and vibes and I need a little bit of intelligence. Yeah. Which uh, you don't have. A, make a vibe check. Uh, with, with I'm proficient in vibe checks. Yeah, may, choose choose the skill that you want to employ, and tell me how you're using it with your notes, um, and we'll see what you can learn by doing it that way. Alan, talk to me about your artificer check. Alan got a thirteen. Alan got a thirteen, which is not uh, so, incredible. Yeah, I, it's mostly about the time. You know what I mean? Like Alan yeah. gets down there, and now having rested for a little while, it's like when you go back to something strenuous. You know, where it's like, oh shoot, now I'm sore. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's a little bit slower going in terms of that. And you're like, you know, because you don't want to like, you know, a mistake with one of the two thrusters that is propelling your ship is a big deal. So yeah. it's like, well, you know, even if I'm sore, like I got to slow down and it, whatever. You think it'll probably take you through probably through like late evening or maybe even till till morning to like get this thing finally finished. Well, um, or you could you sleep know. overnight and start pick up the next day. But Alan might work through the night and then just take a big rest day the next day. Like he's OK with that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, then uh, go ahead and make another check for me, just you know, as as time is passing, um, and let's jump back down to what Radford's up to. So, I think he'd like to. Uh, I think right now he'd probably just want to uh, use his survival. Okay. Uh, you know, because most of this most of this has been gathered. From his time traveling and like you know watching the stars and and noticing the movements of things in the sky and uh, do you know if he's ever actually like spotted something that could be potentially Kay's ship? So he has spotted some dots in the sky. Okay. Um, not many, but like every now and then he see he sees a little dot in the sky that could be an airship. Sure, and um, then he'll like take some time and kind of track it a little bit and whatnot. And I remember when I was on this mountain here, I saw it and it was moving that right. way. And yeah, so a lot of this is is like gut checks. So would that be survival or maybe insight? I would I would accept either of those. I think survival would be better if he was like, you know, oh, I'm going to try and follow the course of those airships and see where they might be now versus insight might be good for trying to figure out if any of them is likely to have been K. And then where that one was, you know what I mean? Like, so insight uh, kind of helps you determine the intention 
of something. Sure. If if he has already say in the past used survival while he was on the mountains to like record this data, could he kind of like use insight to see what the point of moving like the ship moving in a certain way would be like if he's yeah. thinking of like 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 the intention behind the direction of something like are there landmarks there or why would it be going this direction or, or something Certainly. to that effect uh let's let's pull our map up here go ahead and roll for me why is it going in circles with the tail end i rolled really good behind? i rolled an 18 so that's a total of 25 nice uh, so there are four dots in Radford's notes. Uh, he has spotted something over the skies of Aspesh. He's seen something over the skies of Rorith. He's seen something over, honestly, near where you are now, but further south down near um, kind of the the icier area near Nautery, where the um, the merfolk were and, th and such. And he's seen something um, far, far to the east over Arivale, which you can't even see on this map just because of where it's positioned right now. But it's like the whole way um, over here is Arivale. I just moved it so you can see. So Arivale's way east. Um, those are where he's spotted things. And mm -hmm. of those, he is fairly confident now as he goes back through his notes and looks at their movement patterns and things like that um, he thinks all of them were adrift they were not necessarily propelled by anything and they only two of them seemed to be moving intentionally as like even being adrift they could still be on a course or not on a course you know what I mean um, so two of them were just kind of blowing around at random those two were the one over Arivale and the one over Rorith he thinks the one near Nautery and the one near um, Aspesh were sailing more intentionally, just very slowly, you know, because they were they, they didn't really have any means of propelling themselves. Um, and of those two, he thinks the one near Nautery was sailing towards the Pillars of Eternal Vigil, and he thinks the one over Aspesh was sailing towards Stainless. What in the world? So the one over Rorith and the one over Arivale were like kind of blown just... about at random. They didn't seem like there was any any in in what am I trying to say? Uh intelligence uh steering. like they were like they were caught in air currents essentially. Yeah. Basically caught in air currents and and follow, and actually now that you're on the ship and you have those maps of air currents mm -hmm. uh over Urida, you can see that like, oh yes, they fell in this cyclical pattern or whatever, and so you can confirm that for sure. Okay. But then the other ones, the one over Aspesh and Natiri, they seemed like they were moving in a specific direction. Yes, Aspesh was headed towards Stainless, and Natiri was headed towards the Pillars of Eternal Vigil. So they were both just blowing east, or, or heading east. Right. They So even though their air currents might not have necessarily kept them going that way in a straight line, they seemed to be kind of forcing their course to go in that direction. Interesting. Well, that means that... Hmm. Gamteus, uh... No, sorry, not Comte. Sorry, what's your name? I'm bad with names. Cool dragon Arlo. man. 
Thank you. Yep. How did you know um, it was a dragon? The, the other guys told me. And oh, I okay. have a I have a dragon he sense. My scales that makes sense. I could see yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's about the vibe. You give off a dragon vibe. Yeah. What's so, up? And I and I kind of, you know, elaborate this to him as as I've been kind of going over this map. So all of you guys have a bit of residual magic, right? You know, and I know in your case... In varying this, degrees. Right, yeah, yeah. And I remember them saying Satonia had used up and given a lot of hers. and, and But that wouldn't have happened to Kay. So it's possible he would still have some of his magic to move his ship around. Yes, hypothetically speaking, uh, we we function a lot like reservoirs, where we have a direct connection back to the deity that we, uh, right. you know, are appointed by, and so that, as lo- assuming we continue to sure. you know, perform the will of that deity, um, when we use magic, we find that reservoir refilled. So, assuming that K did not go rogue, which doesn't really seem like his style he should have had a full reservoir of magic at the time of the darkening. And, you know, I don't know how much of it he would have used up. It would depend on his behaviors up until now, but it's possible uh, that he, you know, has been rationing it or, or being, being casual with it. It's also possible that he like smoked something and forgot himself and used it all up on his lights. Like, you know, it's hard to know what that. Yeah, that's true. It's true. So we've got two of them are moving with purpose and two of them that are not. And the odd thing is, why are two flying things moving with purpose? Yeah, that does seem like there's some something influencing the path. Hey, you don't need anything, right, Alan? He like leans back out over the <laughs> over the edge. Uh the uh uh two thirds inch wrench would be nice actually. Hand reaches two-thirds. up. Two thirds, two thirds. All right, I'm on it. And he leans back over. Alan's just like stuck there with his hand holding up. So what were you <laughs> saying? He like goes starts digging through the bag. Well, I mean, if it was, you know, if we need to find which one he's on, and there's four of them that you've seen. There's got to be more than four airships up here. You reckon? I I would think so. I mean, when I established the Cartographers Guild and I started to plot some of the different routes between between nations and and such, you know, by by the times leading up to the darkening there, I mean, there were regular airship trade routes. There should be merchant ships and there should be other crew. This can't have been the only rich person cruise ship. Mm-hmm. There should be um you know, even just the the floating market that fell next to the library was restocked every week by ships from all over the place. Lots of them had hulls painted white to blend in with the clouds, and so maybe that's why you did not see them, um, because it would be kind of ugly looking to look up and just see a bunch of black dots in the sky. But yes, that's there fair. should be there should be many more. Um, there also is a fair amount of sky piracy, and you know you would need to be careful of that but for the most part i'm just surprised we haven't run into them i can only assume that it's the weather patterns we've been over you know probably people have been steering clear of the the darker weather that's been following thrax and how around that's fair 
Okay, oh, yeah, here's well, that wrench. He holds it back out over the side <laughs> where Al is just, like, waiting. Uh, thank you. Yep. Well, I think this is all the work we can do for now. We'll run it by the captain, see which one he wants to go to first. Maybe he can help suss it out a little bit. But hmm, That's kind of troubling. Sounds good. Anything else that uh, Fox wants to do before we time skip to Bruiser waking up? You're muted. I rolled that investigation check. Oh, yes. Uh, how did it go? Do I get advantage or not? <laughs> uh, remind me what you're investigating. Don't make me spit I was investigating the vibe. <laughs> investigating what? The vibes. Oh, the vibes of the, of the people. Uh, yeah. this, the, these monks are not people who are used to like hiding their feelings. So Fun fact, it didn't matter. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I rolled the same thing. Because uh, I rolled just in case you gave me advantage. Okay. Uh, with, and so I just didn't matter. Uh, I got a nine. <laughs> okay. Total. Uh, you are not able to pick up too much about the vibe. Okay. It seems the same as last time you checked. People seem discontent, but as Soul Eris seem to think as well, they don't seem like they're ready to stir up in a rebellion. They seem like people who are like, my needs are, you know, I want things to be comfortable and I'm not used to roughing it and, you know, like that kind of thing. Right, right. It's not like, oh, these evil people, we need to get rid of them kind of a kind of a deal. Um, you heard, just like last time, you've heard one or two people who are like, it'd just be more prudent to just give these guys up. But other people are kind of shouting them down and like, you saw those, those monsters that like attacked the guild hall. Like, that's not, you don't negotiate with that. And so, you know, so that's, it's that, that kind of stuff seems to get shot down pretty quick. We don't negotiate with terrorism. <laughs> yeah, I can see the parallel. Um, <laughs> okay. Anything else Fox is doing uh, besides uh, that? Nope. That All right. It. So then we're going to skip ahead to uh, Bruiser uh, waking up. Fox and Radford uh, and or Allen, do any of you want to be there when he wakes up or is he going to wake up in an empty room? Uh, I think uh, I'll be there. I think Alan was going to work through the night if he had to to get the cool. thruster. And Let's get another roll from Alan and see. Yeah, how he, he got goes. a he got a twenty one. A twenty one. Um, yeah. Okay, so work is now picking up. You know the 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 you're getting a little more limbered out. You're kind of working some of the soreness out of your joints, uh, and you know Garlo's paying attention again. Uh, yeah. and so you're getting your tools faster and stuff. Um, and between you and B Street and Garlo, work is picking back up. You think it'll just be a late evening? It won't be an overnight. Okay. Okay. Um, at this at this pace, there'll be one more check that I'll call for in a little bit here. Okay. Um, and then, what about for the other two of you, Fox and Radford? Um, I think I'll, I'll be there. I think Radford is going to bed down for the night, and he's actually been sleeping up in the crow's nest. Okay. Uh, so Radford goes up to the nest, uh, and does he like hitch in or anything when he goes to sleep? You know, there's like a, a rope anchor up there, just like there is on most of the uh, rest of the main deck. He, he leaves it nearby. To grab, okay. But he, he's, I mean, we've already established he does not connect himself to any sort of safety Got restraints. It. Okay. Um, I'm gonna roll to see if there's any rough air. That's the second nat twenty that your pilot kids have gotten. <laughs> Let's were, go. They were so ready. Um, so the okay, so that that's going just fine. And Fox, what about you? Um, are you gonna try and be there when uh, Bruiser wakes up or no? Yeah. No, I was saying I'm, I'm gonna be okay. in the room. I was just. Probably, like, kind of doing some light naps cool. myself. Um, so, Bruiser, you kind of blearily, you know, blink your eyes, whatever, come back to yourself. And uh, on the opposite bunk, blinking blearily is Fox. 
Um, and the two of you are, are there mm-hmm. and you're waking up. The, the ship is still, you know, you can hear the dull roar of the wind outside the ship. You're in the fairly cramped crew quarters, um, lit by probably like a flickering candle. Oh, okay. You're finally like awake. this one, it smells like mm. orange creamsicle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they catch you at the border crossing? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, you look uh, like you could use sleep yourself. Oh, I had, I just took a nap. Uh, <laughs> just trying to make sure you were sleeping good. Uh, yeah. Glad to see the uh, ship still in the air, flying smoothly. All right. I'm uh, I hate I hate to be this blunt about it, but <laughs> you gotta tell me what's going on, man. Listen, I I've never seen you destroy yourself over like like I said we're in, we're in peaceful skies this is a cakewalk so far and you're over here nearly killing yourself over nothing I need to know what's bothering you tell uh, me what's going on well first off everything is a cakewalk until it isn't <sighs> let's just get that out of the way we have no idea what is going to happen next I don't think we can treat any moment. You know, that's why we have lookouts. <laughs> so we have eyes and we can perceive and see things coming at us. I I uh, definitely agree and overdid it a little bit. So why'd you overdo it? I mean, I, I told you last night. Uh, just I've always relied on myself and I've never had anyone until you guys Um, that was like the first real team I was a part of Um, but you guys like are are very self-reliant also so like I didn't have to worry as much about you guys but like these are helpless people here Are they helpless? I mean, they would have all died without our help. Well, I mean, yes. In that regard, yes. But I'm just saying, look how much they've stood up and they're putting work in. I mean, you got two kids that must be damn good at what they're doing. (laughs) And you must have had a great teacher because we haven't had a single issue since you've gone to sleep. That's We've good got... to know. I probably did wait too long to let them fly and over-instructed, but uh, here I mean, we are. Mockery's leading a bunch of others into, you know, hunting down those beetles, the ones that gave us so much trouble. They're they're taking care of them. That's good. I don't want to find and, see those again. And the lookouts I've trained, I mean, hell, they spotted one of the world wonders before it was even on the horizon. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little, but you get my point. You saw the towers? You saw the... Damn, what are they called again? (laughs) Pillars of Eternal Vigil. (laughs) Pillars of Eternal Vigil. You know, those... Giant towers. Giant towers. Why didn't you wait? Obelisks. 
Oh, you needed the rest, and it wasn't an emergency. I promised I'd wake you up if I think seeing, there was an emergency. Seeing one of the wonders of the world constitutes emergency. Uh, you're gonna be still seeing it for a while. Oh, okay. It's the fact that we're able to see it. We'll probably see it for the, at least until halfway through tomorrow. Hmm. Those suckers are visible from far away. <laughs> They are tall. Yeah, that's an understatement. But, listen, I mean, you, you've got people to support you now. You've got us. You've got a crew. You can't always take things on your own. It's mm. how I live so far. Yeah, but you were on your own, and now you have people depending on you. We're depending on you. You've got to take care of yourself in that regard. If it was by yourself, you might have been able to push through it, but you're not. Which means you need to make sure that, that you're taking care of yourself. All right, none of us want to see you run yourself into the ground unnecessarily. Yeah, that's for the best. I, I promise I'll take it easier. So I'm not going to catch you staying up past 24 hours, am I? Only if there's an emergency. Ah. <sighs> Well, at least send me a warning if that happens. Uh, I guess I'll either send one of the kids or communicate through the speakers. Either way. Well, I'm going to let the other people here rest. Let's go ahead and get you something to eat, all right? All right. I'm going to head up. Uh, I'll, I'll head to the kitchen, pick something up, and then head up. And I'll just, just watch them. I'm still... I better not find tired. them later kicked out of the cockpit, okay? I won't kick them out. They they haven't crashed yet, so they're doing much better than Radford and B Street. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> um you you head into the kitchen real quick and um the Radford's trainee is is in the, the kitchen. Um she's a, a little dwarf girl named Doris. And she hands you like a protein bar or something and sends you on your way. Um, Alan, let's make that last artificer tools check and see how your evening goes. Alrighty. 22. 22. Nice. That's a that's some good work right there. Uh, I have Alan? been using some uh, rod of intelligence rerolls <laughs> <laughs> hey, to get these go. numbers. <laughs> um, well, luckily you've got it. Yeah. Uh, and, Alan finishes up his work right around the time that like it's fully night. You know what I mean? Like the the moon is up and the stars are out and it's like night night. Um night night. Uh Alan <laughs> finishes up the thruster and you feel the feel the ship start to, you know, smooth out and and hum a little bit more um a little bit more regularly. And you are now confident that you're going to make it in seven days to Gaim with Great. the available resources that you have. You know, like a full depletion of your resources, but you're going to get there, and it's going to be okay. 
Good. And, you know, Garlal gives you a hand getting back on deck. I'm sure you're exhausted at this point. You know, he yeah. kind of helps you get the, the rope untied, your little cramping fingers from dealing with the, the engine all day, and he just kind of sends you off to bed. And so you pass Bruiser uh, on your way down probably to to the um, to the quarters. He looks a little bit better rested uh, than you okay. anticipated. You know, Alan, looking, looking. as they pass each other, Alan will... Uh, He'll even he'll like just put out a hand even just like a like a handshake <laughs> like uh Bruiser holds out a fist. Up oh, that that works and Alan will will fist bump and say uh feel any better? Yeah, I do. Perfect. You look like you could use some sleep. Uh yes, and I will get some because it's healthy to sleep at least <laughs> once a day and Alan will uh <laughs> wink at him and <laughs> Go go to the cruise quarters. Uh, Josh. Yeah. Uh, Bruiser's also gonna. I'm gonna grab uh, two. Uh, I guess protein bars for um, Ada. For and your Elfie. other pilots, Ada yes. and Elfie. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. So you bring you bring a snack up for them as well. Um, so we've got Bruiser's going to the cockpit. Radford's sleeping in the nest. Owlin's gonna sleep in the crew quarters. What's Fox doing this evening? Um. Fox is probably gonna entertain people. He's gonna sit in the mess hall and Aww, play some fun. tunes. Try and raise know. morale a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes See if they like it's jazz. just a little little background music. Sometimes it's a bit more lively, you know, depending on the vibe, you know. Just playing a little bit of that a little bit of that verticulator music. Yeah, just <laughs> do, 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 do. Love it. Yeah. Um, does anyone want to do anything in particular or can I time skip us to uh, the seventh day as you're, you're arriving at Gaim? Does anyone can I have, have a specific? conversation with the Ada and Elfie real quick? Sure. You push up into the, into the cockpit and um, Elfie is now at the helm and Ada is taking a break. So she's um, you know, kind of behind him watching over his shoulder or whatever. So she hears you push the hatch open and she turns around, and so she's looking kind of down at you, you know? She's like, oh, no, no, it's oh, it's, it's the same day. You can't come back in here and kick us out. We have responsibilities. I'm not to kicking okay. you out. Oh, good. Uh, well, <laughs> then, what I meant was, <clears throat> what can I do for you? Um, I, uh, I have slept. I'm feeling a lot better. Um, I just want to say I appreciate what you did. Thank you, you guys have been doing a great job and don't take what I did as a reflection onto you, but just some some problems I'm working through. Sounds tough. It is, but you guys have been doing great and I brought you something. And then he hands them both a protein bar. Snacks! Thank you. Uh, and, sh you know, they... they Enjoy a happy protein bar, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know how to describe that action with more exposition than they eat it. But uh, uh, Bruiser will just sit at the cockpit and enjoy the view because that's where he is most comfortable and enjoys the most. Sure. Uh, so sitting in the cockpit, uh, as we've described, it's kind of like 360 yeah. degrees of glass bubble. Um, and you, Except like straight back where the wall is yeah. um, onto the main deck. And so you can see... You can't see straight down, but you can see a long way, and you can't, because it's dark out, um, there's, rather than seeing actual 
you know, mountains or geographical structures. Instead, what you see is there's an awful lot of, you know, flickering red dots just out there in the distance um, of just like fires burning out there in, in Urida and, and stuff like that happening. And um, it, it just is a, a good reminder of like, you know, life up here has been pretty smooth, but like life down there is not going so great. And there's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, so yeah. Anything else for your, your conversation this evening? Do you need to talk any more to them or? Uh, no, that was it. Cool. So, um, life on the airship from that point forward is pretty smooth. Um, the, the, the rest of your time getting to Gaim is fairly smooth sailing. I mean, obviously the view of, of Urida is not terrific, but you're able to um, even engage in like a little bit of a downtime activity for, for three days if you can find one that you can justify for the rest of the trip, um, which you can do off screen between now and the next session. Um, but uh, otherwise, it's, it's on the seventh day. It's right around um, dawn on that, that seventh, dawn of the seventh day. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's right around dawn on that day when um, there's a loud pounding on the door of the crew quarters. And um, Radford has also been woken up in the nest, you know, up in the nest. Someone's shaking Radford awake. Um, Nikki has run down to the crew quarters and, um, oh shoot, is it Lana? I think Lana is the other one. Yes, Nikki, yes. Yeah, and Lana is shaking Radford awake. Um, and both of them uh, have seen, they're pretty sure that in the, in the dawn light, they can see Gaim. Um, and it, it's not encouraging. Um, as as you look out and they they just kind of lead you onto the deck so you can see what they see you know they kind of bring you up to the nest and so you join radford and uh mockery who's already you know halfway down one of her trademark cigars gaim is like well and truly besieged now so you can see uh the mountain you know gaim is is at the center let me put the map up here um gaim is kind of at the center of a mountain range here i'm going to put it centered on our screen as well uh, and you can see to the east and west side of the mountain range, uh, an army has encamped there. But what's worse than that is that at the center of each camp, there's a massive hole that's been dug, large enough for 20 horse abreast. And in there uh, is a ramp down into the Underdark, stretching towards Gaim. Um, and... In the mountaintops where the city, you know, there are those reservoirs in the mountaintops mm -hmm. and they have like little, uh, Gaim has like very small little patrols or whatever up there. And you can see scouts and little surprisingly small squadrons of soldiers kind of nervously guarding the, the choke points that lead up to those reservoirs. Um, Alan, to your strategist's uh, or your, your soldier's eye, too, too few scouts and too few soldiers to hold those checkpoints in any kind of real rush or attack or or anything like that um and there are dragon elves and even a few like swift and agile young dragons who are flying patrols of the skies around the mountains um but not they they don't seem like they're willing to actually descend down towards the camps the war camps uh maybe for fear of mm -hmm. enslavement um, so it's, it's almost like it's enough to deny the skies to your foes, but it's not enough to really use that air superiority to achieve very much. Um, and, um, as you're, as you're kind of dealing with, you know, the, the, the sensory input of all, all of this, and you can see, you know, there's 
flags and stuff going up from the war camps. The sun is coming up, kind of lighting the sky in a, a bloody dawn red. Um, you can see one of the dragons, suddenly its, its head kind of snaps towards you, and it like takes off full speed towards your airship, getting closer and closer. You've got three rounds to do anything if you want to do something. I, I guess maybe I lost focus thinking about something pool. as that happened. Are, did the, are we under the impression that these dragons are on our side? Yes. You yes. Don't, yeah. I mean, they're circling the mountains, so probably. But you, I mean, they're they're just off in the distance there. You've got two rounds to do anything if you want to. The dragon's getting closer and closer as it rushes towards you. I'm gonna go ahead, um, go into the spa, grab like a sheet, um, one of the light white linen sheets from the beds that have you know, ill-used, um, grab a staff, one of the rusty spear, rusty pikes, uh, tie it to it, um, and run to the front of the bow. Okay, make uh, a dexterity check with a DC 25 to do all of that in the 12 seconds before this, uh, this dragon reaches you. Two rounds, 12 seconds. DC Alan would like 25? to assist. Would, yeah, it's like technically possible, uh, but not likely that you're going to get down into the belly of the ship, do some work, and get back up there. Oh, I wasn't going to the belly. I was going to the, the spa. Salon, but it, spa. Uh, oh, okay, that, that makes a little more sense. I'm still going to leave it at 25. Um, Alan is helping you, though, so you can, you can roll with advantage. Alan's going to assist you. Yeah, assist was unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I rolled a lot worse. Uh, <laughs> 18 on the die plus 8 is 26. 26, nice. So you barely get this flag up in the air as um, as the dragon rockets towards you. One more round uh, if any of you want to do. Yeah, what's up, Radford? Uh, Radford is going to step up on the edge of the crow's nest, make sure that he is in clear line of sight of this dragon. He's going to roar and breathe his ice breath, like just up in the air to kind of make a, a bit of a signal and yell out in draconic. And say, hey, man. We're the good guys. We're friends of the queen. <laughs> We're um, four guys, adventures, and vibes. As the as the dragon races towards you. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, sorry. Trevor's got a hand up. What's up, buddy? Uh, bru upon seeing this, also, Bruiser will ask to take control of the helm as the okay. dragon is approaching. Yeah, so Bruiser just kind of like ducks into the cockpit. <laughs> like, hey, I'm going to fly for a little bit. Yeah. The kids are saying. like, uh, uh, okay, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so as you as as Radford signals into the air, the dragon um, kind of banks, you know, so it like doesn't fly straight into the ice cloud, um, and, but it does pull up like directly in front of where Radford is standing. So Radford is standing on top of the cockpit, basically. So he's balanced on the glass lens, you know, straight down. You can see Bruiser kind of pushing people, you know, pushing the kids out of the way to like take over the helm. Um, the dragon flies up and then flares its wings out so that it suddenly goes into like a vertical climb and just snaps up to like right even with Radford. So Radford is kind of standing there on the deck, uh, humanoid sized, and then in front of you is this young bronze dragon. Um, it's not gigantic or anything, it's, just, it's size category large. So it's probably 15, maybe 20 feet from head to tail. 
Um, but the, it's a bronze dragon that just flares up there. And um, for any of you who probably Owlin would know this and Radford would certainly know this, but once you realize it's a bronze dragon, you realize it's probably gonna be all right. Bronze dragons have a bit of a reputation for like picking the good guy's side. Um, flares its wings out, flies up in front of you, uh, and it says, um, declare your vessel. We are the SS. Happy. Uh, the, the happy, orc. happy orc. None we of are, you are orcs. It's just a name. It's in honor of our fallen foe. You may have seen a statue in the center of Gaim. Sothkug. Hippo. Oh, that, that orc. Yep. That, that, I understand. What's your business? We're returning to Gaim. <coughs> we, uh, need to make repairs and drop off some refugees. Uh, we'd like to visit our headquarters for guys of interest and vibes. We're very important, very influential. We we also uh, need to speak to the queen and Laredith. Um, he, he says, very well. And he rears his head up and um, a huge line of lightning streaks out up into the sky. Um, but at the last second, he kind of twitches his head to the side so that there's like a single little, it almost looks like a heartbeat in the line. And four other Dragonels um, wearing their, their Four Guys Ventures and Vibes, a couple of them probably have the little bandanas on, um, but they fly up and kind of fall into formation around you and they sort of follow the ship down towards the city of Gaim. Um, as you pass through, one of those reservoirs has been drained and the hole opened up to create you know, the in and out point for the dragons. And so they're kind of leading you to that point. Your ship is small enough that it should be able to get through there. Um, although there's obviously only the single landing pad in the city because it's inside a mountain. Um, but you're going to be able to get into the city from there as you pass from the outside world into the darker, you know, the, the consistent orange glow of Cypher's lit city of Gaim. Uh, to the west, you see... Um, the probably Radford and maybe Fox would notice this. Um, you two see to the west, which is basically backwards from you, uh, another airship. Uh, no sails, no visible means of propulsion, hull painted white like a cloud, drifting aimlessly uh, away, basically away from Rorith. Um, so it's kind of moving toward, in a, in a general, not in a controlled way, but also back towards the Pillars of Eternal Vigil, kind of back the way you came. Um, you think it's likely that you probably passed it in the night, and so um, probably your lookout kids missed it just because it was tough with the stars out and stuff to determine, like, oh, that one's an airship. Um, or maybe you think they rolled poorly. could be that. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so as you're, as you're landing, you kind of see a glimpse of this ship uh, in the distance there heading out that way. Um, far enough away that probably it would not get challenged by the patrols who have been staying near the city of Gaim. And on that note, tonight's Dungeons & Dragons session comes to a close. Mm. Whoa. 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 And that's it's the end of the like adventure for tonight, folks. Dropped a bombshell on us. Sure did. Uh, we will come back next Monday um, in... Uh, Hopefully the city of Gaim, but there is a chance that next Monday will be a low-key little tavern talk kind of day because I'm filming a wedding right before it, and I may not be mentally present enough to run mm. a D&D &D session. Mm. But there's, but I'm gonna try. We'll see. Um, so we'll we'll see if I if I power through like Bruiser, uh, <laughs> or if I 
responsibly sleep like Alan. Uh, we'll, we'll figure <laughs> out how that goes. Um, but anyway, uh, until then, from all of us here at the Wing Badger Tavern, Radford, what do we tell the people? <gasps> we tell those jokers Chi Chi and Chi That's what we tell them. Good night, folks. <laughs> Good night.